Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So we are this summer continuing in this series, and we're looking at questions that people have about God, about faith. And, and the reason, I've said this a couple weeks ago, the reason we're going through this series is because I think all of us have questions from time to time. And whether you are a believer, um, a, a solid Christ follower, or, or you're still in that investigating process, you might call yourself a seeker, all of us have questions. And, and we have questions about faith. We have questions about God. There's so much that we don't, um, that we don't understand, and we want to know better. And, and it's okay to ask the questions. And we've said we've always wanted to be the kind of church where people can be open and honest about their doubts and their questions and, and look for real answers instead of just getting some pat answers. And so that's why we've taken this summer and just really been delving into some of these. And I'm not promising that we're giving all the answers because there's big questions here. Um, but we're hopefully giving some, some sense and some guidance guidance and, and a few things you can hang on to uh, that might help you with your own questions. And this morning, we're looking at the question, if God really wants us to know him, why doesn't he make himself more obvious? I mean, if he really wants us to know him, why doesn't he show himself? Why didn't he just like, you know, part the sky and, you know, big, you know, I exist kind of a thing, you know, across the sky, some big flash of lightning or something. Why didn't he just do that? If he really wants us to know him, why doesn't he make himself more obvious? Why does it have to be so hard? The writer to the Hebrews put it this way. He said, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Why? I mean, that just sounds like a challenge. It's like, well, why does it have to be faith? Why does it have to be so hard? Why does it have to be so difficult? Why doesn't he just make himself more obvious? Bertrand Russell, who's a well-known atheist um, in previous century and um he was coming up near the end of his life he's in his 90s and uh, he, he was a very vocal critic of faith and god and all of this kind of stuff and um uh, there was a conversation he had with the woman and the woman said you know well mr russell you're getting very old in life what if when you die it turns out that you were wrong and and you stand before god what are you going to say to him and his reply was I, I think i will say to him you sir did not provide enough evidence <laughs> That was his feeling. Now, there's people who have said, you know, I believe in God. If, if only he'd show himself more. Woody Allen. Woody Allen said, I'd be a believer in God if only he would do some unmistakable miracle. Like a large deposit in a Swiss bank account in my name. That would work for me, you know. We, we want God to be obvious. And he's not. And we wonder why. Why does it have to be that way? I think part of it comes if we understand the nature of faith. Because sometimes we think faith is, is something you just got to kind of force yourself to believe. You just got to muster it all up. Um, Mark Twain said, faith is believing on something that you know ain't so. <laughs> and that's sometimes what we think about faith. But it's not. There's actually two aspects of faith. There is belief and there is trust. Now, belief, belief is, a, is an intellectual assent to what I think to be true. It's a statement. It's, it's, an, it's, a, it's, it's, some, it's a function of the mind. And you can't force yourself to believe something that you don't believe. You can't force yourself to think in a way that you don't think. And so a lot of people say, well, if I can't think that way, if I can't really believe that way, if I can't buy into all of this, then I can't really be a believer. And that just isn't so. Because it's not just about giving credence to, to some statement of faith. Faith, there's another aspect to it that's called trust. 
And trust is to, to put my reliance in or to make a commitment to someone that I believe to be reliable. Someone or something that I believe to be reliable. And so I can trust even though I don't have all the answers. I can make that step of faith. I can make that commitment not having it all figured out. I don't have to figure it all out first beforehand. And that maybe helps a little bit because as we look through this thing and we're talking about faith and without faith, it's impossible to please God. So that's what we're talking about. Not just the intellectual um, assent to something, but, but the ability to trust. So why doesn't God make himself more obvious? Well, I think there's a couple of, couple of possible answers to it. I think one of them is simply this. If God were to show himself fully, we would not survive it. <laughs> we wouldn't. If God were freely to fully show himself, we, we would just, it, would, it would do us in. We could not survive it because his very nature is beyond our comprehension. His very presence would be beyond our ability to bear because he is far, far greater than we can possibly imagine. There are accounts in scripture where, where people got a glimpse of, in fact, there's one, um, Moses, after he had led the nation of Israel out of their captivity and before they'd gone into the promised land and, and he met with God often and, 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 and he asked God, he said, now, now show me your glory. Show me your glory. God, I have wrong requests. I would just want to see you face to face. And God's response to him, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. But, he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. It would, it would blow you away. It would be so overpowering to you that, that you could not stand it. You could not handle it. So what he said to him is, this is what I will do. In this rock, there is this fissure. I will place you, place you inside this fissure with, with your back to me. And I will cover you with my hand and I will pass by and I will show you my back. Now that's an anthropomorphism. Anthropomorphism. Um, he doesn't have a literal back. What he's saying is that you can't stand to see who I really am, but I'll cover you with my hand and I'll pass on by and you'll see the lingering effects of that and that'll be more than you can handle. <laughs> and we have this over and over again. Um, Isaiah, Isaiah gets a vision of God. He doesn't actually see God, he gets a vision of God and he says, woe is me, I am undone. <laughs> I can't handle this, this is too much for me. We have it even in the New Testament, um, very well known, the Christmas story, when the angels show up to the shepherds on the hillside. Do you remember that? It says, and the angel showed up to him, and, and what happened was it said, um, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. And that wasn't God's glory, that was just the angels. And, and, and they were blown away by it. It happens a couple times also um, in Jesus' ministry. There's a place at which he takes Peter, James, and John up to the top of the mountain. And they get just a glimpse. And it, and it's, it says like his face shone as bright sun. He couldn't handle it. And I think it happens another place. I think um, when Jesus is arrested in, in John's gospel, it tells how they came to arrest him. And he said to them, um, who are you seeking? And he said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am he. And they all fell back on the, on the ground. I think they just kind of, kind of, boop, that little peak of my glory here, you know, and it just blew them away. I think we could not stand it. It would be more than we could possibly handle. 
A couple months ago, we had a solar eclipse. Uh, how many knew that? Did you, you pay attention to that? Okay, a few of you did. Um, I remember as a kid being told with solar eclipses, now don't look at the sun. You cannot look at the sun. I always thought, well, if it's being eclipsed and it's being covered up, why can't I look at it? You know? But even that would be too much. It would burn your eyes out. And so they're always telling you, you know, you got to get this, make this box with a little pinhole. And, you know, did anybody ever do that? I never did. It was just like, you know. but, but the idea is you can't look at the sun because it would just, it would, it would burn your retina. You can't. You just can't look directly at it. And it's kind of like that with God. You couldn't stand. You wouldn't be able. It would be overwhelming to you. It would just undo you. But that doesn't mean he doesn't exist. C.S. Lewis said this. He said about my belief in God. He says, I believe in God as I believe the sun rises. Not only because I see it, but because I, by it, I see everything else. Like we couldn't stand it if God showed himself fully to us. But he has given us clues and shown us his work all around us. And that's what Paul was talking about when he wrote to the Roman church. Since the, creation, by, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what is made. Saying God has left his clues. He's left his fingerprints all over this place. You just got to pay attention to them. You got to look at them. It's as if you have a turtle in the terrarium. You know, a little two foot by one foot by you know, 16 inch, whatever, little glass house for him. And he lives in this little terrarium. And magically, every day, food is provided to him. He knows not where it comes from. <laughs> All he knows is this little world in this little box. Now, that doesn't mean there is not something more beyond that box. He just doesn't know it. We live in a world where we can only handle so much. And we, if we confine our world to say it's only by what we can touch, taste, smell, feel, you know, only what we can perceive by our senses, anything other than that can't be real. It's only because we're in this little box. <laughs> and you would not expect God, who is the creator of it all, to be so easily recognizable as if he were just one of us. Because he stands outside of his creation. So I think that's part of the reason. That if he truly showed himself to us, we would not be able to handle it. We're like turtles in a terrarium. It would be too much for us. And for all of us, I'd say, okay, well, that's fine. That makes sense to me. Yeah, God is big. God is great. That makes sense to me. But okay, what about, what about why doesn't he show himself more in miracles? Why doesn't he do more miracles? Why doesn't he, why doesn't he show himself more that way? In fact, in fact, and when it comes down, because this is where it really comes down to, because all of that other talk, that's, that's all theory. What it really comes down to in my everyday life, when he is not answering my prayers in the way that I would want, or he feels like he has distanced himself from me, that's when I want to know, God, where are you? Why aren't you more obvious? How many in this room have ever felt at some time or another that God was unconcerned, indifferent, and silent to you? Anybody? Raise your hand. No, keep your hands up. Yeah, look around. Because I want you to understand, you're not the only one. <laughs> you see, that's what happens. When we go through those times like that, and it seems like God has distanced himself, that he is quiet, that he, that he is absolutely silent, and he's not responding to our pleas, we feel like we're the only one. And then what makes it worse, what makes it worse is when the people around us seem to be getting answers to their prayers. 
And, and, and you hear someone, and you know, you know these kinds of people, it's like God answers all their prayers, it seems like. You know, everything's, life is easy for them. You know, somebody tells you a story about, you know, I, I had to go to the mall, and I only had a few moments, and I, and I had to, get, I just had to run in, I didn't have any time, and I just prayed for, I needed to have a parking spot right by the door, and I prayed, and lo and behold, I drove up, and a lady was pulling out, and God opened up a parking spot for me. And you just want to say, shut up. Shut up, because I'm praying for a job over here. God's doing, he's giving you parking spots and I can't even get a job. What's up? And you feel like, how come it's so easy for other people and not for me? Because that's what it really comes down to in our everyday faith. Our belief in God is right now, God, when I need you the most, it seems like you've just abandoned me, deserted me, and I'm all alone. And if you've ever felt that way, you kind of wonder, well, why doesn't he do more miracles? Why doesn't he show himself more in that way? And I think there's an answer to that one too. Because I think the truth of the matter is no amount of miracles would ever be enough. No amount. Partly because if he was constantly answering every single prayer the way that we wanted and constantly doing miracles, they wouldn't be miracles anymore. They would just be everyday occurrences. I mean, think about it. You take in breath through your lungs and by that provide oxygen to your whole body through a blood system that provides you life. And that's only one part of how your body functions. That is a miracle. Now, we don't think of it as a miracle because it's an everyday occurrence. But the very fact of life is a miracle in itself. It's just we see it every day. We experience it every day. And so it's just commonplace. It's not really a miracle anymore. I know parents, I've been, I've been at the birth of my own kids. I was at the birth of my granddaughter, my first granddaughter. And, 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 and the birth, birthing process is a miracle. And I've had parents say to me, how can anybody have a, have a baby and, 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 and not believe in God? I mean, birth is a miracle. And then two years later, when that miracle is a two-year-old, it's not so much of a miracle anymore. And that's the way it is with miracles. See, there will never be enough. And we have this way of over time, those things that were absolute interventions by God, miracles after a period of time just become, what a coincidence. And they're not miracles anymore. See, I believe God is doing miracles all around us all the time. And some of them are so commonplace that we don't even recognize them for what they are. But there's still that problem about what about when he is silent, when he doesn't answer, when it seems like he doesn't care. How come he doesn't give me a miracle then? Same answer. Because no amount of miracles will ever be enough. Miracles in themselves do not produce faith. You look at the nation of Israel. Great example. They have miracle after miracle after miracle that provides them escape from Egypt. And they get out of Egypt and they come up to the Red Sea. And now the, angel, the army of Egypt is coming after them. There's a water in front of them. And God does this. The first, and then they complain. The first thing they do. They've had all these miracles to, to escape um, Egypt's bondage. And now they're there and they're standing in front of the water. And the first thing they do is complain. Couldn't we die in Egypt? You had to bring us out to the desert to kill us? What's up with that? And they start complaining. So... God does a miracle, parts the waters. They cross through on dry land. Pharaoh's army comes behind them, gets swallowed up by the sea. They get to the other side. They have a big party. Miriam does this great song at the dance. It's recorded in the book of Exodus. And then they go on and they're all celebrating, celebrating, celebrating. And then a few days later, 
They're hungry. How'd you bring us out to the desert to die? Couldn't we die in Egypt? Same words. So God provides manna. Manna's not enough. This old manna is getting really stale and tired. I'm tired of manna. I manna every day. Manna for breakfast. Manna for dinner. Manna for that. I've had enough manna. So God gives him quail. Not enough. Now we're thirsty. I need water. It, miracle after miracle after miracle. And, and slowly becomes a distant memory. They come, they come to the Mount of Sinai. And, and there's an account of this where Moses goes up to get the law. And listen to this. In Exodus 19, it says this is what happened. There was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud over the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke, smoke billowed up from, like smoke from a furnace. And the whole mountain trembled violently. Right in front of their eyes. And it went on for six days. And Moses goes up into the mountain. And then not... 40 days later, a little over a month later, after all of this big, big show that goes on, and Moses is taking his time coming down from the mountain. And just, just a couple of chapters later, 40 days later, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. This huge display. God's presence. And a little over a month later, it's like, well, okay, you know, Give us another God. <laughs> That's the way it is with miracles. No amount of miracles is ever enough because miracles in themselves do not produce faith. When it comes to miracles, we are pretty much like, what have you done for me lately? Because, and think about this in your own life. When have you had a time when you just felt like this was an intervention from God? There's no way this could have happened had God not intervened. And, 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 and you just believe it at the time. And then over months and years, it's nothing more than a coincidence, a distant memory. Because miracles are not enough. Even Jesus, even Jesus in his ministry on this earth performed all these miracles. He, he, he healed blind people. Gave them sight. Healed cripples so they could walk. He, 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 he touched people with leprosy and they were healed. He forgave. He did all these miracles. He, he even raised someone from the dead. And it was just shortly after that, just after raising Lazarus from the dead, John records this. It says, even after Jesus performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. Because miracles in themselves are never enough. And no amount of miracles is going to prove the existence of God to you. And God seems to have made it such a way that he reveals himself in such a way that people who want to deny him are allowed to deny him. And those people who choose to find him will find him. Which goes to the third thing about all of this. And I think this may be the most important of all. God doesn't just want us to admit that he exists. He wants us to be in a relationship with him. That's really what he's after. If all he needed to do, all he wanted to do was prove his existence, he could do that. But that's not what he wants. What he wants is us to be in relationship with him. You see, this goes back to that whole thing we started at the beginning with. The difference between belief and trust because you can believe in his existence. You can give mental assent to, to, a, to a creed or a set of beliefs. 
But that's not trust. And, and, and God could reveal himself in a way that intellectually you might be able to understand it, but that still doesn't mean that you've put your trust in him. James talks about this. He says, you believe there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that. And they shudder. You can, you can believe without having any kind of a relationship. You can believe with no sense of trust. What God is looking for is that relationship. It's what he's looking for in trust. That's what the writer of Hebrews is getting at when he says, anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's what he's getting at. It's not just about understanding intellectually or making a statement about something you think to be true. He says what he wants is not just that you believe that he exists, but that there's a relationship possible, that he rewards those who come to him and want to be in a relationship with him. Because that's what he's really after. That's really what he's after. And, and the truth is, every relationship requires trust. Think about that. Every relationship you have requires trust. That's how relationships work. They require trust. They require faith. 36 years ago, I stood with my wife in front of a pastor, and I said these vows. For better, for worse... For richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others, keeping only to you, so long as we both shall live. I do. Now, were there any guarantees on that day? No. Not a one. We had dated for five years, so we had a pretty good track record and, you know, thought we knew each other. But we made that promise not because we had all the answers or had any guarantees. We made the promise to give us the opportunity to develop an intimate relationship. And that's how all relationships work. They require trust. They require risk. Because when I trust you, I give you a little piece of myself. I entrust that to your care. And if you treat that well and you guard that and you protect that, you build faithfulness, and I trust you with more. And that is the whole process that relationships become deeper and deeper and deeper. And that is how it works in your relationship with God. You don't have to have all the answers. In fact, you come to God with very few answers, but only this sense that I know that I need you in my life. I know that there are things about my life that need changing that I can't change by myself. I know there are things that I have done that, that disqualify me from a relationship with you, but I need your forgiveness so that I can live in that relationship with you. I come to him with all of my faults and my failures and my questions and my doubts, and I say, I don't understand it all, but I will take the risk. And what happens over time is the more that I give to him, the more I find his faithfulness. And the more that I find that he is faithful, the more that I am willing to risk. And the relationship grows. So I think God did it that way because that's how relationships happen. It is a cycle of trust and risk, and vulnerability, and faithfulness, and deeper relationship. And on and on it goes. And that's the way it works in every single relationship. And that's what God is looking for. And that's why he constantly assures us things like, you will call upon me, and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. 
You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. And the great thing about God's grace is he doesn't just reward those who seek with all their heart. God also comes to those who seek half-heartedly as well. God also makes this available, this relationship available to those who hardly seek at all. Because that is the nature of his grace. That is the nature of his love. It is the nature of his forgiveness. And if you really want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to really know the character of God, look at Jesus Christ. Look at the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. If you want to know if God really cares about you in the middle of your suffering, look at him in the Garden of Eden saying, my God, if there's any way that this is possible that this cup could be passed from me, please. The anguish of a decision of faithfulness. If you want to know he truly cares about you, look at the cross. Because he couldn't show himself any more clearly than in that moment. When he gave himself completely to you, to me. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says this. In these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. If you want to know, if you want to see, if you want to have a relationship with God, look at Jesus. It's the best picture you're ever going to get. Bow your heads with me. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.